Welcome back to WTM. Watch this movie. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> this is your host, Eric Mulder. So he says, wrecked him, damn near killed him. Joined today by Mr. Alex Jones. What's hello. up? Hello, hello. Beef jerky time. You want some beef jerky? You still liking that clip? No, nah, I don't. It's kind of wearing on me a little bit i won't lie <laughs> doesn't really jack me up does it jack you up like you used to nah thinking of some replacements but yeah every time i watch a movie i feel like i find a new soundbite <laughs> that i could fit in <laughs> <laughs> yeah i kind of get that feeling sometimes um although we could settle it by just betting on the oscars we make could. a little wager how much are we talking well like a time frame for how long you have to have the clip so I'm thinking whoever wins gets to pick the clip for the other person. I see what you're saying. Filling out our Oscar ballots. Could do that. For our predictions for the Oscars this weekend, Sunday, March 4th, from California, <laughs> Los Angeles. From Minnesota. <laughs> so like whoever is the most correct picks. Gets would. to pick the soundbite for the other person. Mm-hmm. So I can pick whatever I wanted for you. Whatever you want. But we got to figure out how long we want to do it for. So we were thinking like two episodes, five episodes. Um, I would say say five eps. Five eps. Yep. All right. Stamped. Five eps. It's on the record. Yeah, after the episode today. Unless um, you edit this. <laughs> Before publishing. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. I, saying, I couldn't couldn't do it after the Oscars because they'd already be out. Right. Um, See, so yeah, after this episode, we're going to tweet our ballots at watch this underscore movie. Follow along on Twitter. Um, yeah, we'll just post a couple of pictures of our ballots and then we'll have, uh, we'll have it on record. Yep. There's no bitching and moaning. Well, let the public decide. <laughs> And yeah, we're doing our picks. We're predicting the winners. We're not writing down our favorites. Right. Because we want to get the most right. Yeah. Um, I know you just want to get the Oscar stuff out of the way right now before we do our top tens. Might as well. A little warm up. Yeah, a little warm up. Some of these are going to be in our top tens. Just a nice little introduction. That they will. I'll just kind of, I've been going over some of the, the betting odds. Um, in Vegas for the winners, I've seen the main. I've seen about six or seven. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of sports books in Vegas. They'll, they'll take prop bets and yeah. they'll do all the categories. But 
Um, for purposes of this episode, we'll only go over the favorites for about seven or so. Let's lead off with best picture. Let's do it. I believe the odds on favorite is three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Although I think it's not quite as a prohibitive a favorite as La La Land was last year. I mean, y'all remember how that turned out? Yeah. <laughs> Warren Beatty remembers how that turned out. <laughs> so it could, there could be an upset there, but I think three billboards is going to win. What say you, Jones? Yeah, I agree. I think three billboards will take it. Nothing else seems like, um, oh, you saw Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. The Post has the formula to take it. <laughs> it's got Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks, <laughs> Spielberg. And it's about the media, which is <laughs> prime right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would say three billboards. I kind of want to risk it and say the post, but mm. I don't. I don't. I don't think it'll do yeah. it. Nah. Uh, leading actor, the odds-on favorite is Gary Oldman for *The Darkest Hour*, and I think he is going to pull it off. Uh, Denzel, like I never even heard of Roman J. Israel Esquire <laughs> until he was nominated. Really? And then I was in Best Buy and I saw it like on the shelf, and yeah. I was like, "This movie's out or what? The fuck is this?" <laughs> I had no uh, idea what the hell it was. I saw, uh, the only time I've seen it was a promo before, I don't know, some movie. Did you ever even see it on TV? I never did. The promo? Uh, Yeah, I saw the trailer on TV once or twice. First time I saw it, though, it was before a movie, and it was before I knew there was any Oscar buzz around it, and I remember watching the preview and looked at Sam and went, nah. (laughs) (laughs) And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, he's nominated. Nah. (laughs) Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, Get Out. Is it Kaluuya or Kaluuya? I think uh, Kaluuya. We'll Kaluuya. say that. This is right in theme with our last year's episode mm-hmm. where we butchered about five well, directors' last names. <laughs> well, we called ourselves out at least. Yeah, well, it was funny that I spent like, seemed like at least a dozen episodes going over a Ruth Nega's name because mm-hmm. I thought I was getting it wrong the whole time and I was like, I made a big to do about well, it you know that. like i looked it up phonetically yep. and then i found up found out that i pretty much read it incorrectly phonetically <laughs> so i failed that too and i was right the first time it is ruth Naga. yeah but uh yeah uh daniel de lewis uh i think he's the only one who could upset gary Oldman. but and there is a little bit of chance that this is you know supposedly his last film daniel de lewis yeah, yeah but yeah, he's already won three <laughs> right but I don't know. I think they'll give it to Oldman. Have you seen The Darkest Hour? Mm-hmm. Oh, you did? Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, then, uh, Timothy Chalamet. He was good and Call Me By Your Name, but I don't think he's going to beat out the rest of the I'll I'll go pack. with uh, Timothy Chalamet for okay. the upset. Ooh. I think he'll upset it because it's a Damn. movie about homosexuals. It's a little controversial. Um, yeah, I see an upset. He's an unknown Kind of. Mm-hmm. He's not known to me. Largely. Yeah, he's also in uh, Lady Bird this year. Oh, is he really? So okay. He's, he's in two uh, uh, Best Picture nominees. Well, look at him. Mm-hmm. Supporting actor. I believe the favorite is Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards. I tend to think he's going to win it, too. Because, uh, like, Woody Harrelson, I loved him in Three Billboards as well, but it's yeah. kind of like he, 
Like even in his own movie, I think Sam Rockwell was slightly better. Maybe his character just had a little more complexity to him and layers and whatnot. Um, Willem Dafoe, the Florida project. Uh, so when I saw it, I was expecting like this, you know, tour de force performance from Willem Dafoe. And I was after it, like, I love, I love the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's just like a standard Defoe. Like he's always fucking great. Yeah. You know, and he never really gets nominated. And so like, and it is a supporting role, but, and he was, he was great in it, but I was just like, I, I expected something even more because I don't know. He's just that good in every movie he's in pretty much. Right. Yep. It's held um, to a different standard. Yeah. Richard Jenkins. Uh, that was a, that was a pretty good performance in shape of water. Yep. But, and Christopher Plummer, he shouldn't even be on the fucking no, that's ballot. A, I, that's a joke. <laughs> I again, I hope he wins so I can bitch about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they obviously voted him in because he replaced Kevin Spacey and all the money in the world. But the, I mean, you tell people are just throwing a vote to give him support for. Thank you for taking over this role, so we didn't have to, you know, watch Kevin Spacey in it and all that. It's just a joke. <laughs> should, should have left Kevin Spacey, in my opinion. I think it's kind of. What about a person of color? Could have been supporting actor. True. Oscar's so white. There's only uh, yeah. You know, there's no uh, people of color in the supporting category. No, that is true. So who's the favorite in this one? Rockwell. Is yeah. That what you said. I think he'll he'll win. But like I said before, you know the Oscar's so white thing. People bitch about when there's not enough black people nominated, but mm-hmm. nobody cares a shit, you know, gives a shit about the other races. And like, I, I was talking to you off air. I think Gil Brandt could have been nominated for, um, wind river. Yeah. Uh, native American man. He was also in, uh, hell or high water. Yep. Um, yeah, he was great in wind river only in maybe three or four scenes. But as we found out from Michael Shannon winning, for Revolutionary Road, he's only in two scenes in that movie. Yeah. They're like maybe five minute scenes each. Yeah. And it's like you don't need all that much screen time. Well, even last impression. year, Moonlight, uh, Mahershala Ali, I mean, he was in more obviously than that, but he's not in a ton of the movie. Mm-hmm. Just only... the first third, parts of the first third. Yeah. Like, and I, <clears throat> when he was nominated, it was like, well, cool, I like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was another one of those things where it was like, I don't know. You, I, I expect more screen time, I guess. But yeah. So who's are you going Rockwell? I'm going Rockwell. I'm gonna go Richard Jenkins. Okay. I, I, I could maybe see that upset because I think Shape of Water will get thrown. Some. Uh, I just feel like it'll get some awards for some reason. Yeah. And I don't really see too many other categories that it could get. So yeah, I'll go. I'll go Richard Jenkins. Uh, leading actress, I believe the favorite is Frances McDormand for Three Billboards. And I think she is going to pull it out. That just, would be my pick. I just realized I'm marking the wrong space. Oh, he putting down winner? <laughs> no pick. matter, because I'm going to get it right anyway. <laughs> well, I got another one here. Oh, you do? Okay. But I was maybe going to use it because I wanted to fix mine, but I'll, <laughs> I'll figure it out. There, there's one I, I want to change on do costume you have design. You got some whiteout over there? <laughs> I do not. People just don't have whiteout these days. What's up with that? <laughs> Oscar is so whiteout. <laughs> <laughs> Sally Hawkins was pretty. I've never really. I don't think I've seen her in much before mm-hmm. Shape of Water. 
Yeah. Um, she was she was really good in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think all the themes discussed in Three Billboards are going to kind of make it the Oscar darling this year. Yep, I agree. Pretty timely. Uh, Margot Robbie was fantastic in Itania. Um, I just don't think Itania is going to get that much praise. I mean, with actual awards, I don't think it's going to get too much. No, I agree with that. Uh, Saoirse Ronan, uh, she won last year or the year before. I think she won for Brooklyn. She's 21. And this is her third nomination for Best Actress. Damn. <laughs> she um, she was, was good in Brooklyn. I younger Brooklyn. than Jennifer Lawrence when she kind of did that. And then Meryl Streep for The Post. Well, she, she's there every year, so who, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> she keeps extending her record every year pretty much because I believe she's been nominated the most. Yeah. Um, it's up to 20-some nominations. It's something ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't even put her in there anymore. <laughs> uh, supporting actress, the favorite is Allison Janney for Itania, and that is the one award I think Itania is going to win. Yeah, I think, I think the Academy and everyone really likes Allison Janney. Yeah, I agree with that. Although Laurie Metcalf, she was terrific in Lady Bird, and I'd I'd be happy if she won as well. Although I think they're just going to kind of, because Allison Janney's kind of been. Kind of a critical darling for the past several years, whereas Lori Metcalf has done more television as mm-hmm. of late, and now she's in this Lady Bird, and she was great there. She really impressed me, and she's always been good, you know. Right. I just, I just grew up on her, man. Watching Roseanne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Octavia Spencer, Shape of Water. I wasn't sure about that one. Like she was good, but it's just I was kind of like, surprised that she got nominated. Yeah. And it's nothing to her. It was just like, I don't know. I didn't think it was that big of a stretch. Yeah. That movie, even for her. I mean, she she's won before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she won for, didn't she win for Hidden Figures? I think so. Last I year? think that was the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I was think she was say- nominated for <clears throat> The Help. What's too. that? Wasn't she nominated for The Help? Oh, yeah. Yep. She's nominated Maybe for The Help. Maybe she won for that. I can't remember. But uh, Yeah, I like her, but. Yeah, I was kind of surprised she got a nomination, so I don't see her winning. Mary J. Blige, um, I haven't seen Mudbound. Me either. But it's on Netflix. I might, uh, heck, I might even check it out tonight. Heard good things. But yeah, that's cool that she got nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't act too much, does she? I mean, obviously she's a great you know, R&B singer, but. Yeah, I can't think I don't of. I know if I've ever seen her in a film before. Yeah, I can't name a movie off the top of my head, I guess, that she's been in otherwise. Uh, Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread. Um, I'm not too familiar with her. She must be in something like Downtown Abbey or something. Okay. I should look it up here quick. Leslie Manville. She was uh, pretty great in Phantom Thread as well. Um, But, yeah, I think it's still going to go to Allison Janney. Yeah, I agree with that. So, Leslie Manville was in Maleficent, uh, Another Year, Topsy-Turvy. What else is she known for? Harlots. I mean, she's an English actress, so I'm sure she does. Maybe she does theater over there. IMDb doesn't really give you the theater stats. (laughs) She was in Mr. Turner from a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Uh, Romeo and Juliet from, like, 2013. 
you remember that? I haven't seen it, but I remember that one coming out. From 2013? Yeah. No, I don't remember that. With uh, Haley Steinfeld, Douglas Booth. Mm-mm. You know Haley Steinfeld, though, don't you? Mm. Girl from True Grit. She's been in a lot of stuff. Oh, now. sure. Edge mm. of 17. Yep. Yep. Pitch Perfect, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen two or three. One and done, as always, I always say. <laughs> One and done with the uh, acapella movies. <laughs> Except for Sister Act 2. I'll, I'll, I'll watch Sister Act 2. <laughs> so, yeah, supporting actress. Who's your pick going to be? For supporting? Yeah. Allison Janney. Okay. Animated feature, I think Coco is the prohibitive favorite. Coco should win. And I think it'll win as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I haven't seen any of the other ones. Loving Vincent has uh, had a lot of critical buzz. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I didn't never saw it, but that was more of like you know an adult. It wasn't uh, it wasn't the Boss Baby or Coco or Ferdinand. <laughs> I thought uh, Boss Baby got. I think crap it was a Vincent Van Gogh. It was about I Loving Vincent because mm-hmm. it's a story depicted in oil painted animation. So it was kind of unique oh, that sure. way. Yep, yep. Surrounds the death of famed painter Vincent Van Gogh. Yep. In 1890, France. So, I mean, that would be like... It's kind of cool. It would be prime for cool an upset concept. in like a, a down year, but Coco was pretty beloved by everyone. Yeah. So I think that'll win. And it had good themes and messages and whatnot, so... Yeah. I think that'll win. Um, let's go to Best Director. I think Guillermo del Toro is the favorite for The Shape of Water. And I think that's... I pretty much picked the favorites... For all like the odds that I saw, kind of tricky. The odds can be a little inaccurate sometimes. Like I remember when Christoph Waltz won for Django Unchained. Yeah, he was like twenty-five to one, middle of the pack, kind of long shot. Yeah, and like the whole time up to the Oscars, I'm like, well, he's gonna win. He's obviously gonna win. I can't remember who he's up against that year, but I remember thinking like, there's no, he's not gonna lose, I'm and curious. he's not even the favorite. <clears throat> I'm curious how they determine the odds for these. Mm-hmm. How do you pick the odds of who's I imagine it's based on the climate, you know. Whose marketing campaign is getting more stuff like I got to imagine press. that's it. But you have to consider <laughs> what's going on in the world too at the time, mm-hmm. or if the movie's about a movie, because then the Oscars love that. Is that who you're picking, Del Toro? Yeah, because like you said, The Shape of Water is going to get some awards. I'm just not sure which. <laughs> I think they'll just give him the best director Oscar. Like, here, good job making this weird story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to say Nolan mm-hmm. for Dunkirk just because of the way it was put together. That's why I think that one will get film editing. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean. And I, Tanya, that's we were talking the other day about how I, Tanya was shot and how yeah. cool it was shot. But yeah, I think maybe the editing had more to do than the cinematography. Yeah. So I think that's why I, Tanya was nominated for that as well, uh, you know, as well as Dunkirk. But yeah, the way it's edited is kind of like the whole movie. You want to talk diversity, I guess. The best director category is the most diverse one. Mm-hmm. You got two white guys. Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. Female. Female. You got Guillermo del Toro. He's from Mexico, I believe. Mm-hmm. Then Jordan Peele. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's pretty diverse. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna. I'd have to go with Del Toro too. I want to say Dunkirk 
I think it'd be cool as hell to see Jordan Peele up there. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> think because, uh, but I I think that's a long shot. That's why I think they're going to give him original screenplay. Right. I think he'll get his due there, but I, I don't see them giving him director. Yeah. Because it's more of an original story than anything else. Stories, it, it's a good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cody texted me the other night, and he's like, you ever seen the movie Get Out? <laughs> I go, yeah, loved it. <laughs> and he's like, watching it right now. Weird as shit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, how far are you? He goes, uh, I'm basically at the end. I was like, his TSA friend's pretty funny, though. He goes, yeah, <laughs> guy's hilarious. <laughs> all right. I think that'll about do it for, I mean, we're not going to go through all of them. And right. you'll be able to see pictures of our ballots um, later on tonight, although you're not going to be able to hear this episode tonight. Today's Monday, the 24, 26th. 26th. 2018. <clears throat> Mmm, mm. 28. <laughs> so we're going to start a new tradition since last year was our first episode with top 10 of the year list. We're going to revisit that list from last year. So the 2016 list. Yep. And we're going to see if anything's changed. Um, I'll go first and just I will list what my top 10 was from last year. And then this year and I'll talk about the changes here so last year or for my top 10 of 2016 10 was moonlight nine was hacksaw ridge la la land came in at number eight seven was hill or high water silence had silence at six manchester by the sea at five four was fences number three i had the whaling number two i had loving Number one, the Neon Demon. I've updated it. There's been some changes. Uh, Hexar Ridge has fallen off the list. Smart. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> it's still good. No, I like yeah. it. Yeah. I just, yeah. Knocked it off the list. I had to, had to knock it off. I had to add one. So now my 10, at number 10 is Fences. So Fences went from 4 to 10, mainly just because, I don't know, there was some talk about it's, Oscar prospects last year because it was a limited space. You know, it was based off of a play. Yeah. So there's very, um, it's kind of like hateful eight. It's pretty much takes place in just a couple of places. Yeah. It's not very cinematic. People complain, well, it's just a, it's like they filmed a play and it's, that doesn't really bother me, but no, I think I it, see I how think it, it, right. It highlighted one part of filmmaking, which was acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought. Acting and dialogue, which I appreciate. Yeah. I so, mean, it reminds me of uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm-hmm. which was also based off of play, yep. so I guess, but yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I had to keep it on the list because Viola De- Davis and Denzel were so great in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are good. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, so I moved from four to ten. Number nine, I have Manchester by the Sea. So I went from five to nine. Um, I still like it. I have a better grasp of it now than I did a year ago, and I still I bumped it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing really to knock it on, just I think there's eight movies better now. <laughs> <laughs> La La Land stayed at number eight. Uh, seven, Loving, so that moved from two to seven. And at the time, I added a two because I loved how kind of subtle it was and kind of frank with its subject matter. I still like that approach, but 
I can kind of see where it was kind of forgotten around Oscar season because they kind of look for bold moves is what they're looking for in a lot of different categories. Um, Cinematically, I still still loved it, but I think these other films are are better. (laughs) That's my reasoning for all these. Well, there's movies that are better now. They're just better. (laughs) My my mind has changed. Uh, Number six, The Witch. It's the movie I added. There you go. Threw in The Witch. Because The Witch was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Doesn't get all the credit it should get because it's a genre picture, but it was beloved by critics, but not enough for awards. Plus, it was released in the spring, which is, you know, Get Out was... One of the first movies in a long time to buck that trend. Yeah. Like you're not, you at least have to have it come out over the summer. Yeah. To be nominated for Best Picture, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Pretty much has to come out in the fall or winter. If you're lucky, a summer one. Right. But uh, then number five, I have Moonlight. So I move, that moves up the list from 10 to five. On uh, revisiting it, I understood more of it, I think. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I got more out of the second and third viewing. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's there's no holes in that movie. I mean, with performances and um how it tackles its subject, I think it was pretty great. Uh four Hell or High Water. That was one so I moved up from seven to four. And last year, for a while that was my favorite movie of the year, and then I kinda knocked it down and I was kinda wondering why I knocked it all the way down to seven because I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. I'm moving it back. It's going back. It didn't lose its luster on subsequent viewings. Uh, three, The Wailing. So that stayed, from, stayed at stayed three. Stayed right where it was. Mm-hmm. Two, Silence. So that moved up from six to two. Because I just the, the performances, the scenery, the cinematography, um, the themes it explores is just, it's one of Scorsese's best films, I think. I agree with that. It was a big 25-year passion project for him, and I think it showed, mm-hmm. paid off. And then number one, Neon Demon. Not changing Neon Demon. It's staying right. there. Well, I knew you weren't. It helps that you watched it about 100 times. Yeah. <laughs> Go read my analysis on uh, <laughs> WTMWatchThisMovie.com. So what about your list? Uh, So to recap, my list from last year, I had number 10, Arrival. Number nine, Don't Think Twice. Number eight, La La Land. Number seven, Everybody Wants Some. Number six, Neon Demon. Number five, The Lobster. Number four, Moonlight. Number three, The Nice Guys. Number two, The Witch. And number one was Hell or High Water. Um, so I had some reshuffling. Uh, so I introduced one new movie. Mm-hmm. Which shifted everything, essentially. So, as I predicted during the podcast last year, there's two movies I mentioned. I mentioned Silence and The Founder, that movies I hadn't seen before the podcast that I easily thought that they probably would be in my top ten had I seen them. The Founder, I saw, wouldn't have put it in the top ten. But Silence, like you were saying, uh, Silence jumped to number two on my list. For the same... For the same Number reasons. two on both lists? Yep. 
Uh, silence was phenomenal. Uh, I was more disappointed after seeing Silence, how little buzz it got and how mm-hmm. little uh, appreciation it got at the Oscars, I guess. Because for the same reasons, uh, I think it's I love Scorsese's movies, typically as gangster movies, because a lot of them are. But uh, this is this might be one of my favorite Scorsese movies. And I'm not religious. Very just not religious, period, really. I mean, believe in something, but whatever. Uh, and silence <laughs> believe is, in uh, something, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but silence, I mean, it's heavily religious movie. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for I, I think it says something when somebody says it's a, you know one of their favorite movies from that director and they're not religious, period. It's also for the same reasons we talked about last year. Garfield was phenomenal in sil- silence. Uh, I was like, why are you talking about Garfield the movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was the only addition. But so I reshifted. So with that addition, I'll just start at my number 10. My number 10, don't think twice, fell from number nine to number 10. Uh, La La Land, fell a spot. Everybody wants them, fell a spot. Um, Neon Demon, The Lobster. Those all fell, and then, so that brings us to the number five, which last year was a lobster. That fell. I shifted, and Moonlight went from my number four. So my number five was the nice guys, Um, and then Moonlight jumped from number four to number one. Moonlight jumped to number one? Yeah. Number four? So my top three are now Moonlight, Silence, and Hell or High Water. So last year, Hell or High Water was my number one. Now it's number three because mm-hmm. of silence. And then I moved Moonlight up to number one. Simply, I, I loved Moonlight at the time, and I've seen it a couple more times since then. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of for the same reasons that you just said. I mean, it it's flawless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even has uh, a good score and soundtrack. Everything. <laughs> uh, there's kid actors in it, and they were excellent. Uh, mm-hmm. The cinematography was fantastic. Um, music's really good. The story's really good. Uh, it was different. It's a different story. I don't know. It, just across the board, it seemed like it held up, and it will continue to hold up compared to a lot of the other ones. I love Hell or High Water, though. Uh, but I feel like Moonlight and Silence are just better movies overall. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. So that's my list. So that's... That's it for the recap of 2016. That was the big moment. That was a big one. Top 10 films of 2017. Now, do you want me to go first or you? Like, it doesn't matter who goes first because like, if I went first, you typically have the last say. Yeah. But I'm sure we're going to ruin each other's number ones throughout uh, the list. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're going to ruin a lot of our each other. So it doesn't really matter which, <laughs> which no. one goes first, I suppose. You can kick us off. All right. Um, and then, yeah, after we do our list, we'll give out some honorable mentions. I don't know if I had too many that I missed. Because I've seen all the Best Picture nominees except mm-hmm. for uh, The Post. And I'm not projecting that to be in my top ten. No. So I don't think there's any, not too many movies I haven't seen that I would think, oh, I think that could make, make the list if I saw it. Although there is some foreign films, uh, specifically some of the nominees, uh, The Square, that one can this past year. Okay. So I've really wanted to see The Square. 
and uh, Elizabeth Moss is in it. I can't remember if it's a Swedish production. Let's see. I think I should say right here. Foreign language. Yeah, Sweden. A Fantastic Woman from Chile. I've seen the trailers for that at the theater. We actually open it the, this weekend. Okay. Stars Daniela Vega, and she's a trans woman, you know, actress. Mm-hmm. And she stars in it, and uh, she's one of the presenters at the Oscars this Sunday. So that was like a, when they announced like the first twelve presenters. That was like a big thing on Twitter. So I'm oh. pretty sure they haven't had a trans person Can't present I. an award. Yeah, and the film is nominated as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, you could tell they're really uh, pumping all the different minorities. Help. If you got <laughs> uh, the the they released a list of the first twelve presenters, and not one of them was a white American male. There was like one or two white males, but they're like English. <laughs> Can't have any American men. Can't up have there. American males. <laughs> they're too disgusting. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> So yeah, those two I'm looking forward to. The, I can see them mm-hmm. getting into my list. The Wailing was a Korean film that was number three, right for last year for me. So, yep. um, there's always a couple foreign ones that I try and see. So, kicking us off at number ten from 2017. <laughs> <laughs> They're all 2017. Phantom Thread. So to give the deets, directed by PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Vicky Kripes. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. It's K-R-I-E-P-S. Kripes? Kripes? Kripes. She's from Luxembourg, I believe. Hmm. Okay. Um, Leslie Manville, Sue Clark, Joan Brown. That's about it. Uh, Storyline. Set in 1950s London, Reynolds Woodcock is a renowned dressmaker whose fastidious life is disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman, Alma, who becomes his muse and lover. So, just saw this the other night, finally. Big PTA fan, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah. the guy hasn't had a misfire yet. I don't, nope. think, I don't think he will. He's kind of like Kubrick and... He gets in the conversation like Kubrick's, Tarantino's, at least for us. You know, there's there's always some people out there that would view those directors as having a misfire. Right. But at least in my eyes, um, like Dennis Villeneuve, yep. all those movies I've seen of his. Good. <laughs> I can't pick a bad one. Yep. Yep. Um, there's, there's a lot of uh, directors like that nowadays. Christopher Nolan. Yep. Like same I can't, thing. Can't think of any duds for a lot of these guys. Yep. But uh, and then Daniel D. Lewis and his supposedly final performance although he's kind of retired before and paul thomas anderson has said in interviews that he hopes you know it isn't for good he'll right reconsider, and he might i mean he, yeah, he probably would right person right time all that yeah jazz he probably would right he, story uh, he's obviously great in phantom thread he's nominated very deserving nomination again but i was reading about some of his methods for phantom thread and he went as so far to, I mean, he's always in character, like on set and things like that. But he learned how to make dresses, studied dressmakers. He even made a very famous uh, recreation of a dress by a very famous designer. I can't even, it was an Italian designer. I can't even pronounce the name. Mm-hmm. But um, 
like he went all out and then he worked with the costume designer to uh come up with his wardrobe and he worked with uh, the costume designers the wardrobe people is very hands-on mm-hmm. so they, w- they would go shopping together for different fabrics and colors and things like that so he so, gets into it you're saying yeah he, <laughs> he put in he put together a lot of his own outfits and it would be like what he was feeling that day on set at that time they put all of his clothes in like his closet in the house that they're filming in so he'd go into like his bedroom and like come out and like all right i'm ready to shoot huh. i'm sure he didn't say that because he's in character but right <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah there's this one could be a mover could move up or maybe even down i'm not sure but it was uh, i don't want to talk too much about it um then lewis is a prick in it he's pretty <laughs> not as like evil or menacing as Daniel Plainview or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a dressmaker. He's kind of a posh, you know, aristocrat. It's, yeah. you know, loves the smell of his own shit too much. Yeah. And the performance by the women in, in that film are terrific as well. It's kind of a power struggle, so to say. There's a lot of relevant themes to today with the Time's Up, Me Too, um, mm. women's lip stuff. Sure. You know, especially 1950s London. <laughs> you know, yeah. I guess I couldn't speak to like women's suffrage. Like I have no idea like when, when women's suffrage happened in the UK. Yeah, I don't know. So I guess I couldn't tell you if it was like a recent thing or how far their women's lib kind of movement was at the time. But you know, everything in every woman's life is pretty much in his eyes, you know, disposable. Um, kind of views women as possessions and things like that and uses them as accessories for his dresses, his work, his art, hmm. that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, some strong-willed women uh, leads to conflict. Uh, Phantom Thread is one that I haven't seen that is on my, could have could be on my mm-hmm. list had I seen it. So I was looking forward to that one uh, pretty much because of him and PTA. I mean, mm-hmm. on the surface, a dress, a movie about a dressmaker. I'm like, meh, <laughs> for obvious reasons. But mm-hmm. I mean, what PTA can do with a, you know, storyline that doesn't necessarily appeal to you, and then you add in Daniel Day Lewis, it's like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> and yeah. that one looked really good, and I heard really good things about it. So we could be sitting here next year, and I could be saying that that's easily, I don't know, close to top five. Possibly. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I had a similar thought going into it about it. It's a dressmaker. But I was still thinking, well, it's, yeah, it's Jenny Lewis and it's Paul Thomas Anderson. And I'm sure I'll I'll get into it. <laughs> right. And yep. I saw it the day after we had our, you know, Vikes Lose Again party. Mm-hmm. And so we were up till six watching movies. Yeah. I had about five hours of sleep, maybe less. <laughs> and I saw it in the afternoon. And I didn't, didn't fall asleep. I didn't yawn, didn't fall asleep, <laughs> nothing. I was in the second row. That says up. something. <laughs> yeah. It, it kept my attention. Yeah. So there's that. What's your number 10? My number 10 is Logan. Logan. Not in my list. Logan. Uh, so Logan 
Directed by and written by James Mangold. Stars Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, Daphne Keene, Boyd Holbrook. Synopsis. The near future, a weary Logan, a.k.a. Wolverine from X-Men, cares for an ailing Professor X somewhere on the Mexican border. However, Logan's attempts to hide from the world and his legacy are upended when a young mutant arrives, pursued by dark forces. Um... Logan is the long-forgotten superhero movie of last year, I feel like, which... Mm-hmm. It came think, out in the spring. <laughs> right, because it came out so early in the year, and the buzz around, I don't know, Wonder Woman, now Black Panther, which is obviously a movie this year, but um, Wonder Woman, Gardens of the Galaxy, Spider-Man, Thor, all those, I feel like, and I'm pretty sure all those came out after Logan, they kind of, I feel like, shadowed it. <laughs> so I mean, mm-hmm. people, I, 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 nobody talks about Logan anymore. Logan was easily probably my favorite superhero movie of the entire last year. It's probably because it takes a more realistic, takes a different approach to the superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's arguably Hugh Jackman's last run as Wolverine, uh, but it's also a little more adult oriented. It had that sweet ash trailer with Johnny Cash song, <laughs> and they also came out with a black and white version of it too, which uh, we talked about I think on a podcast a while back after I'd seen it. But I loved Logan. Uh, that Daphne Keene too; she plays the younger girl in there. Um, she did a great job, and it was one of her first movies. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think Logan deserves a little more praise. Outside, I mean, I get it's a white male as a superhero, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's now kind of being glossed over. But I mean, let's all recognize that Hugh Jackman is fucking ripped still <laughs> as Wolverine once he gets on that X2 <laughs> running through the woods. No, but uh, yeah, I thought Logan was Logan was sweet, deserves a little more publicity, I guess. Still. Isn't what that solution or potion was called, the X2? Something like that. My number nine, Darkest Hour. Directed by Joe Wright, starring Gary Oldman, Lily James, who you would remember her as the girlfriend from Baby Driver. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Kristen Scott Thomas, Ben Mendelsohn, Ronald Pickup, Stephen Delane, Nicholas Jones. That's about it. I always kind of feel bad when I, that's about it. There's like, you know, 50 actors, at least right. in like every movie. That's like, well, you're Logan. not in it that much. I went far. I scrolled over far enough. <laughs> that's what I did for Logan. I kept scrolling. Then I just cut myself off and I was going to go. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I usually cut off after like, okay, I recognize several names and then it'll be like three, four names in a row. I don't recognize. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> so no offense to the people I don't name. Everybody contributed to the film <laughs> we brought up the the grips the gaffers uh storyline during the early days of world war ii the fate of western europe hangs on the newly appointed british prime minister winston churchill who must decide whether to negotiate with adolf hitler or fight on against incredible odds so this film is pretty unique especially after seeing dunkirk because you get to see the behind the scenes, so to say, of Dunkirk. You get to see what was happening behind the scenes, British Parliament, 
was because Churchill had just been appointed mere days, basically, before Dunkirk happened. The movie Dunkirk takes place over a little less than a week, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he was appointed just a week or two before that takes place. And you, it talks about all the decisions that had to be made to try and save all those soldiers that were trapped at Dunkirk and the uh, infighting that he was receiving back in the uh, UK in Parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people wanted to negotiate with Hitler and, you know, kind of surrender as long as they were maybe granted, what do you want to call it? Not autonomy. Um, and keep their independence at least. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, looking back on it, like, well, Hitler wasn't going to let him be. <laughs> <laughs> he just fucking, just, he took over everything. Right. Everything that he could. Yeah. And I really doubt that that peace would have lasted. But, and there were some people who were like, well, he hurt Churchill, you know, he kind of lucked out, you know, he's a war hawk and he got lucky. And it's like, well, it turned out to be the right decision for England. <laughs> At least that's my opinion. Um, but yeah, he kind of faced incredible odds because a lot of people didn't want him as prime minister. They were trying to replace him pretty much as soon as he was installed. He wasn't that popular to begin with when he was installed. There was some friction between him and the king. A lot of stuff going on. And Gary Oldman is great. Uh, there's even some some comedic moments. You know, it's largely... There isn't really many war scenes. It's mostly... It's kind of like Lincoln and it's just... You know, Lincoln was mm-hmm. basically just about the deals he had to make and what he had to pull to kind of make. It's more about the true politics behind yeah, some of the stuff. Trying to not the sexy part. Trying to gain votes, the diplomacy, and mm-hmm. all that. Yep. So yeah, it was a little similar to that. Although I like this much better than Lincoln, I think. Okay. But yeah, Darkest Hour. Gary Oldman, bring home that Oscar. What's your number nine? Number nine, I'm guessing I'll be knocking off one of yours. You got three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. It's my number seven. Number seven. All right, so I didn't not didn't chop too low. Hmm. So three billboards, uh, directed by Martin McDonough, written by Mar- Martin McDonough, stars Francis McDormand, Caleb Landry Jones. Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson, Lucas Hedges. Um, Synopsis, mother personally challenges local authorities to solve her daughter's murder when they fail to catch the culprit. Um, For all obvious reasons, fantastic movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good performances all around. Um, Nice twist. Kind of into what you think the movie is going to be about and what it ends up being about. Like you said, because these are all from last year. Trying not to spoil anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Sam Rockwell did a good job. Like, he'll probably get the supporting actor Oscar. Uh, Although I argue he already played this role as a prison inmate in the Green Mile. Uh, (laughs) Much funnier in the Green Mile. Much funnier in there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Frances McDormand kills it, like she always does. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Some really surprise scenes that catch you off guard. Uh, I won't go into detail. Oh, you betcha, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, just 
Really good movie. Uh, only reason why it didn't get higher on my list was um, the ending. And I'll kind of leave it at that. Mm-hmm. It just didn't. It didn't resolve enough for me. I guess the ending. So. Yeah, it's uh, trying not. To, I'm trying to beat around the bush, but it's reminiscent of another movie that Francis McDormand. I don't know. I was trying to explain it. <laughs> Never mind. It's reminiscent of another movie that kind of leaves you hanging almost. <laughs> that the Coen brothers did. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a similar thought. I think the subsequent viewings, when I can see it a second and third time, I think I'll get a lot more out of it. Because, yeah. yeah, at the end, I'm a little, I guess not underwhelmed probably isn't the right word but something similar to that there's kind of like i yeah like maybe a little more resolution but at the same time maybe not like i I think i I just need to see it again yeah i was gonna say it's and i don't need the resolution that you thought you were gonna get Mm -hmm. uh i just felt like i needed something more i don't Mm -hmm. know It, it just didn't wrap up everything or lead you to think of something as much it just didn't nail it for me Uh, Mm -hmm. that's why i got knocked down because i love the movie from basically start to almost finish (laughs) um and like you said based on subsequent viewings it might actually i might learn to appreciate the ending a little more but uh yeah so three billboards is number nine of course did you i read an article today about the controversy surrounding most of the major Oscar contenders. Well, maybe not, not most, but at least a few of the big movies. One of them, Three Billboards. Because some people, and I, I can't even quote the article entirely because it would give away part of the movie. <laughs> but let's just say some people are not happy with how Sam Rockwell's character was handled. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, similarly, people are... I mean, they just talked about a little bit of a backlash that some of these movies, these contenders have been getting. And another one was Call Me By Your Name because its two lead actors are not gay. Oh, however, if people would kind of look into it a little more, the director was gay and he chose those two actors because he wanted them mm-hmm. for what he thought they could bring to the role. Sure. And far be it for me to... Tell a gay director that he can't put straight people in his movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it goes back to uh, there's more in the decision. It's it, the movie isn't necessarily for the actors. I mean, the director, the producers, you have writers. Fact, sure, you got to factor in their vision of what the movie is and how they think they can meet it. Mm-hmm. So I think people forget that because you don't see any of them on the movie. You just see the actors. So then you're critical of it. Because I didn't know that about Call Me By Your Name. I didn't know the director was gay. I didn't read much about it, though, I guess. I didn't really have much issue, I guess, yeah. with those actors. I assume they weren't gay. They are were portraying gay males. but It's a similar situation to uh, Jared Leto when he went for Dallas, Dallas Buyers Club. Sure. Played a trans woman. Yep. And he was like the darling of the Oscars. And right immediately after that, even for like a month or two, oh, Jerry Leto's so great. Let's put him yeah. in this movie, in this movie, in this movie. Yeah. And then it was like five minute, five months after that, it was, well, he's not trans, so he should have never played that role. Should have went to a trans person. I was like, shut up. 
It's been really fucking tired There's a laundry of all the list shit we of can't trans do. Actors that can pull off that role, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of bankable ones, too. You're right. I'm not saying that they're overrepresented because they're not. No, absolutely not. Um, case in point, uh, Daniela Vega is probably the only trans actor I could name yeah. <laughs> off the top of my head. Yeah. Well, does, does Caitlin, did she do any acting? <laughs> She probably had some cameos. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, obviously they're not in enough films overall. No. But to say that nobody can act like that, they're like, oh, they're taking roles away. And it's like, well, you're... see, movies, they need bankability to make money, especially these indie films. They need to sell stuff overseas to make the money back. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these indie films aren't going to make all that much in the U.S. Well, no, you do the do the box office movie so you can make the indie movie type thing. Because, yeah, they're not going to make you much, mm-hmm. usually. And so if you put in, like, um, I was listening to a podcast today and somebody was talking about this subject and talking about how, like, John Travolta used to, even up as recently as just a year or two ago, you know, he was still in, like, like, he would have flops that would come out. He'd be in, like, a big movie, or yeah. quote-unquote big movie, and it would come out and it would flop. Yeah. But he kept on making them because overseas, he was they were still making gangbusters. Like, oh, it didn't sure. fucking matter that they flopped here. Yeah. Because he was making money overseas. Or, like, um, Spectacular Now. Mm-hmm. Or Paul Rudd plays the teacher. No, wait, not Paul Rudd. Um, Spectacular Now? Yeah, spe- uh, no. Uh, he was the teacher in... Uh, Curse of being a wildflower. Yeah, yeah. But who was the who was the boss in Spectacular Now? Uh, that had to let him go because he's drinking. Yeah. <laughs> God. But like, because those are like smaller roles. Even Paul Rudd and Perks of being a wildflower. You know, he's like, like when you think of Paul Rudd, you're like, that's that's kind of a big actor for kind of a pretty small role. It's an important role, but it was very small. And they put these bigger name actors in these small roles in these indie films because they can sell their names Bob overseas. Odenkirk. Oh yeah, Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. So yeah, they put these people in there so they can sell these names overseas because people know Paul Rudd. Yeah. Even though he's only in there for maybe five minutes, it doesn't matter. Yep. So the more names you have, ooh, I'll check this out. This new American film. Mm-hmm. These big name actors. Yeah, I guess it's a more philosophical uh, question of what you want your movies to look like mm-hmm. so i mean if you if you're going to a movie that's about homosexuals or transgender people uh and you want your act well then don't go to the movie i mean don't go to it if you would rather have an actual gay person or transgender person in the movie and they're mm-hmm. not well then don't go to it and like, there's got to be kickstarters I mean, that's kind of that's all you do i mean that's fine because i started to I'm starting to become a little more critical of based on true story movies. Mm-hmm. When I read about how far-fetched some of them are, it's almost disappointing because some of these real-life things are actually interesting, and I think it's lazy that they don't try to make the real story work. Or, I mean, <clears throat> I mentioned it about Red Sparrow and Jennifer Lawrence playing a Russian spy, and I was like, "What? you couldn't find a Russian actress to do that, to be more authentic? Uh, now, I'm not that hard-pressed that I'm going to boycott a movie because of it Mm -hmm. um but i mean if you did a movie on george washington and it was a british actor doing it that would be kind of (laughs) goofy to me but maybe i would overlook it if it was i don't know 
it was a well-known person I liked. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's like if you really want to see more trans people acting in films, you have to support them. I know there's very few of them, but the ones that there are, like when a fantastic woman comes out, you need to buy the Blu-ray. You need to rent it. If it's in yep. theaters, go and see it in theaters. Yep. Spend that's money what on you it. want. Uh, like you said, I mean. Vote with your dollars. Exactly. Money's what drives all of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, if they see tons of people spending money on something like that, well, then they'll start doing more of it. Over the past few years, there's been some, I mean, I couldn't name them, but there's been some some trans actors or at least, you know, gay actors. I mean, there's obviously way more gay actors than there are trans in Hollywood, but there's a lot of little indie films that you could find out about and to support those. Mm-hmm. And once you bring those up, like the really cheap indie ones. Yep. The more festival ones that aren't, the ones that don't even go international. Yep. Look those up. There's got to be Kickstarters and GoFundMes out there for people that are trying to get their projects off the ground. Yep. Um, so, yeah, all you, you just have to put in a little work, research, and there you go. Vote with your dollars. Yep. What you were saying about uh, the based on true story thing, another part of this article I was reading about the controversies with these contenders is there was something about the post in there. And how it was, I don't know if it was misleading or it had something to do with between the Washington Post and the New York Times and yeah. the Pentagon Papers. Yep. I, well, I haven't seen the Post, so I'm not exactly sure what they were getting at. I haven't there's seen There's some it. sort of inaccuracy or misrepresentation. Well, I talked about it before on the podcast, so I read an article uh, where they talk about it. And the, the article, the site I read it off of was Consortium News. And it's invest. It's former investigative journalists or or current investigative journalists and like former intelligence uh, professionals in the intelligence community. And they talk about somebody blasted the movie because they said it makes it seem as if the Washington Post did this like amazing thing and stuff. But they're like, really, it was Daniel Ellsberg, the guy who brought them the information, who also went to several other papers. Mm-hmm. And the New York Times, I believe, actually did a little more help in trying to actually publish them. Mm-hmm. And the books that have been written by people heavily involved hardly even mention Tom Hanks' character and Meryl Streep's character. So the movie, the whole movie, the basis of it, that these are the focal points of it, uh, like these investigative journalists are like, it's over dramatization. You're, you're just way over the top dramatizing it. Because mm-hmm. it's skewed so far from the actual main players who actually helped. Uh, but to your point, I haven't seen it either. But who the fuck do you see in all the trades? Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can assume that. Yeah, it's probably probably is skewed. Um, but. So, yeah. You, even the movies, they're trying to, you know, push the society forward culturally. Or yeah. That's what they're trying to do. Get shot down. By social warriors. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, you know they're trying to help you, right? Yep. <laughs> but they're not doing it the way I want them to. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on now to number eight. My number eight. Get out, Jones. Get out. Get out. Get out of here. That is my number seven. Number seven. Ooh. Yep. Didn't hear cut up by much. Uh, directed by Jordan Peele. Written by Jordan Peele. Try to call it the writers um, when they're the director and writer. Although it's kind of weird because it's like we we usually don't remember to we don't call out the writers if it's just 
any movie. <laughs> if it's somebody <laughs> I don't recognize, it's like, that's eh, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, if it's not the director, we usually don't call it out. Right. But it's always it's always more impressive when it, they're writing and directing. Well, they're putting in the but, man hours. Yeah. Putting in the work. They're putting in the person hours. But it's also worth noting because Jordan Peele is nominated for original screenplay. So yeah, um, starring Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Allison Williams, Bradley Whitford. Well, sorry doesn't put the Triscuit crackers in my stomach, now does it, Carl? <laughs> uh, Catherine Keener, Caleb Landry Jones, who's also in Three Billboards, so he's in two Best Picture nominees. Caleb Landry Jones, huh. he's the one who gets he gets thrown out the window. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, he might even be in something else. Forgot about it. yeah. When I saw three billboards, I was like, "Oh, that dude." <laughs> yeah, and he's in the Florida Project. <laughs> so it's like Damn. he was in a lot this year, and American Made this year. So Caleb Landry Jones doing big things. All uh, good movies, apparently. Yeah, Marcus Henderson, Betty Gabriel, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Stephen Root. Uh, Lil Rel Howery is the TSA agent uh, yeah, friend. He's hilarious. Ashley LeConte, Richard Hurd, Erica Alexander. I used to watch uh, that show she was on uh, in the early 90s with Queen Latifah. What was it? Living Single? Is that I what it's called? So. Yeah, Living Single. I just watch all the time because I remember when I saw her and get out, I was like, who the fuck? I know her. What do I know her from? <laughs> yep, Living Single. From ninety three to ninety eight. She was she was Maxine. She's Maxine. Yeah. <laughs> I used to like that show. Yeah. I used to watch it all the time. Yeah. That's about it for cast. Storyline. Uh it's time for a young African American to meet with his white girlfriend's parents for a weekend in their secluded estate in the woods. But before long, the friendly and polite ambiance will give way to a nightmare. So um I remember when I first saw this in the spring, you know, when it was in theaters, I really liked it, but I was kind of thinking at the time, I was like, well, this, this is not going to make my top five or probably not even, you know, top 10 list mm-hmm. for the year, but I liked it even more like second to third. It's not like I was missing something or, you know, the first time watching it, but I don't know, just everything kind of, everything's a lot smoother, I guess. And there's nothing, you can't really knock it for anything performances are great yeah original story directing's great it's a good story uh they, you can't really knock it for anything some of the cinematography is really good too mm-hmm. uh especially when he sinks into the chair mm-hmm. i was caught off guard by how good like some of that was uh because i wasn't expecting it for some reason yeah like, the visuals he, are pretty the visuals cool visuals are pretty fucking cool mm-hmm. in there it was a nice little twist yeah did you uh Obviously, we're not going to get in the spoilers yep. still, but did you read up on the ending, that it, the original ending? Because they changed the ending at like kind of last minute. Oh, like they filmed nope. a couple, and they had an original one planned, and then they, it wasn't hitting with audiences. Oh, okay. No, I never. I can't it. discuss it, but okay. They had another ending that was would have been better. Do you uh, feel? I might have. I might have liked it, but I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. I think critics would have liked it more. I mean, it was nominated for Best Picture. Right. And it's like 95%. But I think they would have even been more elated with it. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, it's not a... I don't think he downgraded the movie by choosing the ending he did. Right. It's just another path to go down. And it's they're both 
reasonable paths. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. What, what do you say about it? It's It's got everything. It's horror, suspense, comedy. Yeah, it's almost there. It shouldn't be in the comedy category. That's not what I'm saying. But (laughs) (laughs) but his TSA buddy is hilarious. He's hilarious in there. Yeah, I mean, the story was, to your point, the second, I think I've seen it two or three times now. And it does get smoother because the story is really original and the music in it is really good. Even like the soundtrack, I would say, the score, Mm -hmm. but also the, the songs that they pick in there. Sound editing with her scraping the spoon. Yeah, on the, on the like cup. all that. Everything like, fits. <clears throat> especially the one scene where they're auctioning at one point. Um, the play on silence and then the big drum beats. Like, I don't know. It, it was just really well done. The entire entire movie. Topical, of course. Heavy on the race religion or you know race angle. Um, I did enjoy because I watched Key and Peele, the sketch comedy show that Jordan Peele was on in the U.S. I watched it three seasons, I think it was, two or three seasons. And when that show ended, I was so pissed. And then I read an article where he said that they were like, well, what are you going to do now type thing? He's like, I want to direct horror movies. And people thought it was such a joke. They were like, that's kind of random type mm-hmm. thing like that. And to see him immediately go and do it and fucking well, he did kill Keanu it. first. Yeah, he wrote yeah. it. I don't know if he did. Did he direct it? I don't it? think he directed Keanu. But uh, it was cool to hear him say that, leave it, and do something almost completely different. I mean, it is funny, like you said. There is a comedy aspect, but it is still very much a horror movie. Uh, so I thought that was cool. Yeah. Keanu yeah. was directed by Peter Atencio. Okay. Yeah, I thought somebody I else directed it. But yeah, Peel wrote it uh, with Alex Rubens. Okay. But yeah. He was the brains. That's what uh, Keegan Michael Key says. Mm-hmm. He always gave of Jordan Peele credit for all of his sketch writing. He said that he he would come up with ideas that blew his mind constantly. That it was always he was always kind of the man that was able to write the scene or the sketches so well. Mm-hmm. I guess it's shown in his movies. He yeah. did Keanu in this. So we both went over our number sevens already. My number seven is three billboards. Yours was get out. Wait, did you do your? I did not do my number eight. Okay, do your number eight, and I'll go to my six. Six. Uh, number eight. We got Coco. Ooh, animated in the top ten. Yeah, I fit in an animated one. So Coco, directed by Lee Unkrich, written by Lee Unkrich. <laughs> Uh, stars Anthony Gonzalez, Gail Garcia Bernal, Benjamin Bratt, Alana Ubach, Renee Victor, Jamie Camille, Alfonso Aro, uh, Gabriel Iglesias. It is animated movie, Pixar, Disney Pixar movie, um, Synopsis aspiring musician Miguel, confronted with his family's ancestral ban on music, enters the land of the dead to find his great-great-grandfather a legendary singer. Coco is... I'm not traditionally a big animated fan. Not that I don't like him. I'm just typically not attracted to him. This really wasn't any different. Like, I didn't have a heavy, like, desire to go out and see this. Sam absolutely loves 
Pixar and the animated movies. Uh, but I was interested to see it because it had a cool trailer. I remember seeing a trailer for it that was really well done. This movie just really hit. They did such a good job of covering the Day of the Dead traditions and celebration and intertwining it with music that I remember sitting there and it was like, that's fucking sweet. <laughs> uh, the visuals are really, really well done. I mean, it's Pixar, but I mean, the amount of time that goes into making some of these movies, especially when they're as detailed as this, um, I probably don't fully appreciate and a lot of people probably don't. But the little universe they created for the Land of the Dead was uh, really well done. And you could tell by the names I'm reading. I mean, they're using a lot of unknown people to do the voices. So there wasn't any heavy attraction from a single actor voicing anybody. Um, And it seemed like they stuck to probably more Mexican actors and actresses, it appears. But yeah, I mean, overall, it was really good. Music's good in it. It's not too much music. Some of the Pixar animated movies they do nowadays when there's a lot of music, Frozen style one. It feels like it's too much of a musical for me. This one actually was a really good balance. So I liked that part too. But uh, yeah, Coco was dope. Dope. And so now we're jumping to my number six. Coming in at number six is The Florida Project. Directed by Sean Baker. Also written by Sean Baker and Chris Burgach. I'm starring... Brooklyn Prince, uh, Bria Vinate, Vinati, it's V-I-N-A-I-T-E. How do you say that one? Vinate, Vinate, Vinate. Willem Dafoe, Christopher Rivera, Aidan Malik, uh, Valeria Cotto, Mela Murder. <laughs> it's gonna be murder. <laughs> Uh, Crystal Nicole Watts. So, storyline. Set over one summer, the film follows a precocious six-year-old Mooney as she courts mischief and adventure with her ragtag playmates and bonds with her rebellious but caring mother, all while living in the shadows of Walt Disney World. So, uh, yeah, I kind of just kind of fell in love with this movie. It's it's hard not to, I guess, if you see it. We've been mentioning couple of movies this episode with uh, impressive child actors mm-hmm. um the little girl brooklyn prince is probably one of the best child performances i've ever seen damn beast of the southern wild came out like two it was like five years ago uh Kavenzanine, is it willis or wallace willis that like six-year-old was, yeah. she, was she six when she was nominated i think so something like that She's maybe young. up to nine Mm-hmm. Not 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 older than nine. Now I know that. I'm not sure. Let's see. Brooklyn. Let's see if it gives her age. Yeah, it doesn't give her age based on IMDb. But she plays a six year old girl. She is very young. And I was I was like she could be nominated. I thought. I thought she was incredible. All the kids are in here. You know the whole cast. Willem Dafoe. That's maybe why I was not shocked at Willem Dafoe's performance. I was like, well, everyone's just so fucking great in here. And then it's almost like it overshadows Willem Dafoe to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Dafoe's incredible as well. It's funny. It's suspenseful. You know, tear open a box of Kleenexes. Uh, I like it 
the more and more I think about it because of the, how it ends, the more and more I think about it, the more perfect I think the ending is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, it's another one that was on my list. I mean, you talked about it, but also things I'd heard about it. Uh, I guarantee it'll get shuffled into the mix once I see it. What's your number six? My number six from 2017, Dunkirk. That's my number five. Oh, there you go. God, we don't have any any overlaps that are too far off. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, so, I like my Hell or High Water was seven last year for me, and that was your number one. Right. <laughs> I was listening to the podcast, and I was like, oh, that's right. He had it way at seven. <laughs> so he killed my number one early. <laughs> uh, so Dunkirk, written and directed by Christopher Nolan, stars Fionn Whitehead, Damien Bernard, uh, Tom Hardy, James Bloor, Mark Rylance. Did you just slur your words? Bloor. <laughs> Bloor. Um, you kind of touched on it before with uh, The Darkest Hour, but synopsis, allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Empire, and France are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle in World War II. Dunkirk is the first 4K Ultra HD movie I bought. Oh, really? Yeah. And it sure did. looks fantastic. It looks almost as good as Blade Runner on 4K. Yeah? Yeah. So that was the second movie you bought. Second 4K. movie I bought. <laughs> it came out later, so. <laughs> uh, Dunkirk is uh, really well done. I'm kind of taking a risk on it because I don't even fully... Con- I need to rewatch it just because the timeline is still confusing to me a little bit. But mm-hmm. with that... Even that question mark, um, the acting, not even the acting is what captures you. It's the entire film, the way it's put together. Cinematography is fantastic. Um, there's shots in there that are combined with the sound that just keep you engaged the entire time, whether it's fighting or just from the kind of the airplane and shit like that. Um, Tom Hardy's in it, but I mean... It's not like a traditional Tom Hardy movie. I mean, I thought he would talk a little bit more in there than he does. But well, he wears know. a mask in every movie. Right. <laughs> like, you wouldn't even know it was Tom Hardy, in all honesty. Uh, well, it's a quick thing about that. It's so funny because, you know, in Inception, he's the forger. So he takes other people's, you know, he just becomes those people. Yep. So he isn't in, like, himself is not in Inception all that much. Yep. Because he's usually in someone else's body. Yep. Obviously, Dark Knight Rises, he wore, he wore a mask. Yep. Um, this, he's wearing a mask pretty much the whole movie. Uh, he's going to be in Venom that's coming out. Yep. <laughs> he's wearing a mask, <laughs> wearing a mask, a mask. again. <laughs> in Bronson, did they, they must have put him in a mask for a little while when he's misbehaving. Uh, he's in a straight jacket. I'm sure he's got a spit mask on. <laughs> spit bite mask. <laughs> God, that fucker's in a mask every Fuck damn God, movie. He's in a mask. And yet chicks think he's so hot. It's like Mad Max, he's wearing a mask for yeah. like the first half of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should do a top five Tom Hardy mask movies. <laughs> <laughs> we already got five. Uh, yeah, and I mean, Christopher Nolan, 
We talked about it before. Uh, just another one to add. His growing list of every movie he does is fucking good. Uh, the writing is good. Directing, I wanted to choose him for best director for this simply because we talked about it last year, I think, with Hacksaw Ridge. And sometimes those movies that have shitloads of people in them and a lot of things are going on in one scene, the way it's done and if it's done well probably speaks to the directing since they're the one kind of guiding everybody and telling mm-hmm. them what to do and stuff like that. There's some parts in this movie, it's just there's so much going on that Christopher Nolan, you can tell, is probably working his ass off to make sure everything is going off at the right time and people are doing the right thing. So, yeah, I think overall in the runtime is only an hour and 46 minutes, which yeah. is pretty Sna- snappy runtime. Yeah, it's a ni- kind of a nice sweet spot runtime. In all honesty, if it was 30 minutes longer, I'd have been fine with it uh, just because the movie's good. Um, and it was that much fun to watch. But, yeah, fucking Dunkirk. You got yeah, I was um, like, I always get really excited for Christopher Nolan movies. Well, and when I saw it, like I wasn't underwhelmed or disappointed. I was like, well, this doesn't. It's not my top three Nolans or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I like several other Nolan films much better, but, you know, I think it's because it was so jarring at first that I had no idea that there was that editing kind of, uh, that original editing technique that he was doing. Mm-hmm. Like it was kind of jarring at first because I didn't quite get what they I think I missed um, one of the subtitles or something because they say... Uh, an hour when the, when it's the air, the planes, yeah. that storyline only takes place over an hour. Yeah. And then the boats is, I think two days. And then the men on the beach is a week about, yeah, or like five days. And I mean, the more and more I think about it, it's, I think it's perfect for the movie because how it's sniped together. You see how everything came together in the climax of the film. Yeah. Versus only showing one side of it. From start to finish, you kind of see how it all came together at different times. Yeah, the, the it's whole... just it's weird to get used to at first, but once you do, I think it really pays off. That's what I mean. Like initially, it was tough to not follow, but because you're trying to remember that concept as you switch mm-hmm. stories, uh, that's where I have to go back and rewatch it. Because once I got to the end, I had kind of goofed up the storyline and where certain things were. And all of a sudden it was like, well, we're here type thing. But it was still fucking impressive as hell to kind of show three different perspectives of one battle, essentially, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And like you talked about the cinematography, I think it's incredible, too. Yeah. Some of the shots he gets, just like, how the hell did you do that? Yeah. Like Tom Hardy <laughs> will be flying in the foreground. And behind him, you'll see another plane crash in the water yep. and Nolan's used CG before, but he doesn't use it that much. He, he always tries to do practical whenever he can. Yep. Like the beginning of dark Knight rises and inception. He built a giant fucking hallway that he put on a giant, even a bigger motor to spin it yep. so that Joseph Gordon Levin and the other guy could run around in there while they spun the hallway. <laughs> it's like the guy, you know, he has that big hanger where, um, where you actually see it in the beginning of Dark Knight Rises. You can see in the background in one of the shots. Okay. There's a hanger that he keeps a lot of his, that's where that hallway is and a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. It's probably where he even keeps his IMAX camera. Because yeah. he is like one of the few that there are in the world. Yeah. He has one of them because he's like, I like shooting everything in IMAX, so <laughs> I'm just going to buy my own. Um, 
yeah, some of the stuff like that. It's like, oh, how does he pull it off with yeah. those camera shots? It very, it made it real without blood, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, there's very little blood throughout this. And I might wow. have actually preferred a little more blood, but yeah, it's still. I think it's a fine choice making a PG-13. Mm-hmm. You know, more people get to see it. Although, you know, that's a. And it doesn't always have to splatter either, because I know that's unrealistic too. Right. Sometimes a bullet will just go in and. Well, I guess I don't know from experience, but I could gather that a lot of times when a bullet goes in, there isn't blood spraying and you won't even maybe even see blood for five, mm-hmm. 10 seconds. Yeah. To like leads through. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, Dunkirk, pretty great. Pretty damn good. So that, that was, was my, my five. So now that was your six, right? That was my six. That was my five. So now you go to your five. Okay. My number five is Stronger. Haven't seen it. So. Heard is a big pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is my no, snub. This is my snub from the Oscars for mm-hmm. actor. Uh, not movie necessarily. But uh, so Stronger, directed by David Gordon Green, uh, written by John Polono. It's based off the book Stronger, which is written by the actual guy who Jake Gyllenhaal plays in the movie, Jeff Bowman. Uh, stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Tatiana Maslany, Miranda Richardson, Richard Lane Jr., Nate Richmond. Stronger is the inspiring real-life story of Jeff Bowman, an ordinary man who captured the hearts of the, his city and the world to become a symbol of hope after surviving the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing. Yeah, this is the one that dreadboxed it. I remember when it came out, and I was just kind of like, meh. Just, I wasn't too interested in it. We redboxed it, and it held me the entire two hours. Uh, it was pretty much just because of Jake Gyllenhaal, because he kills it. In the movie is Jeff Bauman. He goes through the full. Uh, I don't think emotions. he should have been allowed to portray that actor because he has legs. <laughs> Pisses me off. <laughs> Same goes for Gary Sinise. Fuck him and his Oscar. <laughs> Did he win for Forrest Gump? Fuck, I can't remember now. I can't remember. I'll look it up while you're doing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal, I think, should have been nominated for Best Actor. Maybe shouldn't have won it, but he should have been nominated, in my opinion. Uh because he kills it. He, he does an excellent Boston uh, accent, which can be ruined if you don't do it well enough, I would say. Uh, the banter in the movie is, is, is spot on um, between him and his friends and uh, family members and everything. Um, he goes through all the wave of emotions from not giving a shit to being injured and then... He's fucking basically an alcoholic at one point. Uh, all kinds of stuff. But movie overall was really good. Another movie that I think kind of fell off. But I think it's right up there with Patriot's Day, which I loved. Another movie about the Boston Marathon bombings. And I think one of uh, one of Jake Gyllenhaal's better movies in a while. Because he did, I don't know, his full film list as of recent. But the most recent one I remember him in was, what was that boxing one? Southpaw. God. <laughs> sucked. Uh, so I was glad to see him kind of bounce back a little bit from that. Well, I guess he was in Nocturnal Animals. So, I mean, it's not mm-hmm. not it's not to say he's on 
a bad stretch. But my last recollection of him, I forgot about Nocturnal Animals, was Southpaw. Uh, so it was kind of nice to see him doing an accent, heavy accent, just like he did in Southpaw. Uh, and also just do a really good job. I saw an interview with him and the real Jeff Bowman, too, side by side talking, too. And they seemed like they got along pretty well, which I always find kind of interesting when you're portraying the real person. Mm-hmm. How much, I don't know, you can not get along with them, but instill their trust that you're not going to screw it up. Yeah, the, the <laughs> so, Bowman, I mean, he lost his legs, right? Yeah, so I mean... Okay, I just want to make the, sure he wasn't like just like paralyzed or something. No, so he went to... Basically, his ex-girlfriend was running in the Boston Marathon bombing. Or, mm-hmm. not the bombing, Boston Marathon. Uh, and he went to support her. She was like, no, don't come, whatever. And he was trying to get her back. So he's like, I'm going to go. She's like, fine, whatever. And then he went right up near the finish line with the sign and then the bomb went off well before she was to the finish line, and then it blew off both of his legs. And he was actually, there's pictures of, you know, right after the people, you know, people are taking pictures right after the bombing. He is one of the people who I think is being carried or carted, and his one leg is completely gone, and he's just kind of in a dazed look. And his other leg is still partially there, but they had to remove it because they couldn't fix it, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he went from... So he has he lost both of his legs, so he had to go through all the physical therapy and everything like that. So, but yeah, found like, out Gary Sinise did not win; he was just nominated. Although he has won a Golden Globe and Emmy, and no, but yeah, did not win for Forrest Gump. Surrounded by number four, number four, I Tanya. Oof, that's my number one. That's your number one. Wow, <laughs> I'll let you take it. Right. You want me to give the deets and then you talk about it or what? Uh, sure, since you got it up. So directed by Craig Gillespie, starring Margot Robbie, Sebastian Stan, Allison Janney, Julianne Nicholson, Paul, Paul Walter Hauser. Just look at his face. just makes me laugh because he's the, he's the bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Tony Harden. <laughs> uh, Bobby Cannavale, Boyana uh, Novakovic. Caitlin Carver, that's about it. Storyline, competitive ice skater Tanya Harding rises amongst the ranks at the U.S. Figure Skating Championships, but her future in, in the but her future in the activity is thrown into doubt when her ex-husband intervenes. That has got to be the worst fucking... <laughs> her future in the activity? Yeah, and what the hell? There's not a decent one on here. Okay, it's about Tanya Harding, who famously was involved... With the assault on Nancy Kerrigan in 1994, right before yeah. the uh, Olympics. It was actually immediately before, uh, was it U.S. Figure Skating Championships? Yeah. And then uh, she was back for the Olympics that year. But, yeah. Um, largely about her life from child to even past that incident. Yeah. Take it away, Jones. Um, I, Tanya, was the greatest movie of 2017. <laughs> Good thing I was looking over at the door. I was doing a spit take in my MacBook. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say uh, for tons of reasons. The acting, uh, Margot Robbie. I forgot it was Margot Robbie at certain points in the movie, which I always think is a good sign that they're doing mm-hmm. a really good job of acting 
when you can forget that, especially when it's a well-known actor doing it. Uh, she does a great job as Tanya Harding. Allison Janney, who we already predicted will win the Oscar, she does equally as good of a job. Both established actresses, and I think they actually kind of, this is probably some of their best work, both of them. The way the movie is edited and told is pretty original, I would say. Not the editing necessarily, but the way it's told, because it's told, it opens and it says it's based on, I forget the exact words, but it says based on a true story. Um, of a very contradictory accounts, contradic- I believe. Yeah. Contradicting stories between mm-hmm. Todd Harding and her husband. Uh, Jeff and- Galuli. Yeah. <laughs> And then they basically, the whole movie, it's being told, they'll they'll talk about the same event, but she'll tell it and then he'll tell it. And then they'll recreate based on what they're saying, what that would have looked like, which I thought was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a bet. I haven't read up on the exact story or anything on Tanya Harding outside, you know, the Nancy Kerrigan thing, just knowing about it. But um, it's one of the more original ways to tell a true story because it depends on who you're talking to, what the true story is that I thought was cool. Not to ruin the end or anything. Um, I thought it was a better point of contention on the media today mm-hmm. a little bit than <laughs> yeah. uh, things like three billboards or so. I didn't see the media thing really coming. You didn't see the theme coming initially. I, at least I didn't. It kind of yeah. caught me off guard towards the end of the movie, but it was done so well where you left it. It, you left the theater thinking about it a lot, which says mm-hmm. a lot because it's a figure skating movie for one thing, a pretty niche sport, uh, nothing that I follow. And uh, in addition, the way they talk about figure skating in there and then they show it and the way it's filmed, it's done in a way that it makes you appreciate the sport mm-hmm. and the talent you have to have to do some of that shit. Even if you don't like the sport, you have to somewhat respect how they can pull off some of the stuff they do. So it like it mixed in so many different things that it was like I was interested for so many different reasons at different points from her whole relationship story, the way it was told from two different points of view and then figure skating in general and how it was filmed and kind of told. And then also the media angle at the end um, It was pretty. Uh, yeah, it was just really, really well done movie. Um, it was fairly easy for me to put it as number one because looking over all the other movies on my list, I was like, there's other ones I kind of wanted to do, but this was easily the one that I left the theater and I wanted to watch it immediately afterwards again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Number one. Yeah. I thought uh, to your point, yeah, the cinematography and the editing together was phenomenal. I thought it was like kinetic yeah. filmmaking at its finest because like, I mean, I, I watched some figure skating, like, you know, every four years in the Olympics are on, but that's about it. That's it. Yeah. And, Same um, here. like I'll watch a little, I watched a little bit this past winter Olympics, mm-hmm. but, and, uh, I find it, you know, interesting enough, but I'm not all psyched about it or anything, but yeah, like you're sitting there and you're just like, yeah, let's get some, get to some fucking ice skating. Yeah. Let's <laughs> fucking do it. Yeah. This is exciting as hell. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was just riveting, all of it. It kept your attention. There was only, like, after the incident, I thought there was maybe five, ten minutes that kind of lagged, but I think it only lagged because the rest of the movie up to that was just 
I thought it like breakneck speed, or at least it held mm-hmm. my attention at like a breakneck speed. Yeah. So to do that with figure skating, which is more of traditionally kind of, well, you know, it's it's a sport for rich people, aristocrats, kind of that mm-hmm. society. And it's very almost like, you know, you've heard of like a golf clap. Yeah. You know, the upper class crowd doesn't really get into it as much. Mm-hmm. And it's not as exciting, at least that it seems that way. Yeah. And it's much more. You know, it's quiet during the routines and ice skating and things like that. Quiet during golfing, you know, while they're hitting. Yeah. So to inter- interject like her kind of white trashiness into it, that aspect of the film, I thought was a really cool blend and, and just injected with life, I thought. It made you more sympathetic, I think, towards yep. her. I left going, yeah, I, I can, you can kind of feel for her after knowing not even the relationship stuff, the he said, she said stuff, but just what she was up against, kind of doing figure skating, yeah. and she's white trash. I mean... Mm-hmm. Just the lower class in general. Yep. That she, in how they they address it in the movie, too, how they're just like, well, you'll never win because of who you are, type thing. Mm-hmm. You also for don't... I didn't realize how much she... What was it? Landed the first double axle? In Triple comedy. axle in you competition forget- for an American woman. I forget that about Tanya Harding because you only mm-hmm. think about the incident of her boy <laughs> bashing in Nancy Kerrigan's leg. That's all you think about when you think about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did enjoy the exploits at the end where they talk about her career after figure skating and all the yep. shit she did just to stay relevant or make money and whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I was glad they kind of fit that in. Uh, yep. But, uh, yeah, really good. So, yeah, that was my number four. So let's go to your number four. My number four, Wind River. It's my number three. Perfect. Snap. While you're looking that up, um, I'll just explain to the audience why Wind River is not nominated for any awards. <laughs> Good. So we both saw this. It came out in August. And you you saw it around August or September, didn't you? Yeah. At the time, you know, we both loved it. We were both mm-hmm. thinking... Kind of a probably an awards contender. Um, it was from directed by Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Sicario and Hello High Water, and he wrote this, and this was his directorial debut. It was at Cannes, although it was out of official competition. It was under the Uncertain Regard um, banner, mm-hmm. which is kind of just the, I don't know how to describe it. It's a little less than the main competition, I guess. Uh, but still, you know, very highly regarding. He won Best Director in Uncertain Regard for that. So that's pretty impressive, especially with your debut and you won a award, directing award at Cannes. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. So the distribution rights for this film were bought by the Weinstein Company. Who filed for bankruptcy today. <laughs> they did file for bankruptcy today? Yep. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Apparently there's some deal with... Uh... A different company to buy them out yeah uh but it fell through apparently oh it fell through because i thought they were just going to change the name and because maybe get bob out of there as well there's a few things that the other company agreed to do if they took over and then it became apparent that that other company the board of directors at the weinstein company said they didn't think they would be able to actually live up to it maybe they were lying about how much money they had or how much stuff they could change, whatever, something like that. So it ended up falling through. They filed for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking. That's <laughs> funny. And the amount of time that that happened between the incident, uh, the whole company filed bank. 
It's pretty short. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so this the Weinstein news came out in October. And shortly thereafter, uh, they, they sold their rights to home distribution, the home media, to Lionsgate. And when Lionsgate got it, they omitted the, the Weinstein logo, pretty much anything that mentioned Weinstein in the credits. It's taken out, which is a first for what I can gather. I mean, I'm sure it's happened for one way or another, yeah. um, but it's kind of crazy that, you know, when I saw it in the theater, it opened with, you know, TWC, Weinstein Company, and then there's probably another production company, and then the movie started. Mm-hmm. No TWC this time. <laughs> nothing in the credits, nothing on the, the Blu-ray disc. And so obviously they bust their rights, and um, even if they didn't, there's no way the Weinstein Company can campaign for any of their films this year to win awards. Nobody's going to vote and give an award to a Weinstein movie, even no. though they didn't. They didn't make it. They just it was already made, and they bought the distribution rights. Yep. However, they'd be the ones campaigning for it, the yep. distributor. And uh, yeah, they weren't going to get any awards. Nobody's going to vote for him. <laughs> and not bad. to say, I mean, Elizabeth Olsen is. Uh, She's good in there, but I don't think she would have been nominated. Jeremy Renner was, was I think, even better than her, but that he still good. would have been hard maybe to nominate him. I mean, he's really great. I agree. But yeah. I think it was more of a – it could have been – I guess it could have been like a directing Oscar, but that would have been hard too. But I think maybe Best Picture or a Screenplay would have been in play for it. Or the supporting actor. Like I say, yeah, Gil, Gil Brandt, yeah. the native Those um, I could have actor. seen nominations for. Mm-hmm. And so and maybe in cinematography could have been one. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it could have been a contender for a few awards. Not like it was, would have been nominated for 13 awards or anything like that. But yeah, that's why nobody talks about it now because it's a Weinstein <laughs> movie. At least it was. But uh, yeah, you can take it. Did I go over the... No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Uh, so written, directed by Taylor Sheridan. Touched on some of the actors, but Jeremy Renner, Julia Jones, Kelsey Asbeel, uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Um, Gil Brandt, does it say Gil Brandt on there? Gil Birmingham. Birmingham? I thought it was Brandt. Like a B-R-A-N-D-T. Is, that the, is it a picture of the native actor? Looks like him. Okay, the Gil Birmingham. I must have yep, fucked up his name. Him. Yeah, Gil Birmingham. Yeah, hell of a water. Synopsis, a veteran, veteran tracker with the Fish and Wildlife Service helps to investigate the murder of a young Native American woman and uses the case as a means of seeking redemption for an earlier act of irresponsibility, which ended in tragedy. I mean, we kind of touched on a lot of it, but I mean, the acting's really well done. Uh, the story is it's a really good story. Um Slow burn yep. into uh, what the fuck just happened. Yep, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> the suspense that it pulls is pretty it bu- terrific. It builds the suspense really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- there's a lot of good acting in there. They have, from what I can tell, I mean, a fair amount of actual Native Americans uh, as the extras and yep. stuff like that throughout. Even some of the main act- his uh, Jeremy Renner's wife is Native. Yep. Uh, his son is native. Yep. And the impression um, I get is those those actors are, in the fact, they have some form of Native American heritage, it's, mm-hmm. it seems at least. Uh, I haven't researched it, so 
And I enjoyed that they address Jeremy Renner, who's white. <laughs> he plays a white dude in the movie, not with any Native American heritage. Uh, mm-hmm. They address him kind of leading the charge to find this murderer on you know Native American ground. He, mm-hmm. he lived Although he's there. not really leading the charge. It's still more Elizabeth Olsen, and he's... Right, he, I think he, he's slow playing his cards. Yeah, but I mean, Elizabeth Olsen has no ends with the locals. She thinks she knows how to do it, but she can't. So she needs Renner to kind of do the talking and stuff with the locals to get their mm-hmm. support to try and solve the crime. But him like going around trying to find, you know, get answers to questions and stuff like that. They do at one point address uh, him doing it, which I appreciated because it's like, I don't know. It did stick out to me that it was like, so it's a white dude. I'm trying to find like uh murderer on Native American territory type thing. Uh, so I like that they kind of addressed it. I mean, it's not a huge theme, it's, but it's nice that they called it out. Yeah. Another reason I thought it had a chance to be nominated for best picture is because of the subject matter. Mm-hmm. It's about abuse of native women specifically. Yep. Um, that kind of, goes unnoticed and oh, what they are we call, they call out a stat too i think at the yeah. end where they say that there's no uh tri- it's not a spoiler uh because you know a native american woman dies but uh that th- there's no statistics kept of native american native american women missing is mm-hmm. that it uh yeah. so they have no stats of that period yeah they don't know how many native women are missing right which is kind of interesting I guess I don't know what, how many stats they keep of missing people in general, but and with the times up, I think it mm-hmm. had a great chance of being nominated. But they're like, oh wait, this big Me Too times up movie, yeah, distributed by the Weinstein. So they tarnished it. <laughs> yep. From an award standpoint, I think that this movie is something that will hold its hold its value over time. Mm-hmm. I think it's really good. Yeah. So wait, that was your that was your four. That was my three. So yeah. what's your three? My number three is Baby Driver. Baby Driver number three. Two Burnthal movies back to back. <laughs> we forgot to we forgot to mention that Burnthal's in Wind River, <laughs> and he's in Baby Driver. Uh he's baby. in both movies for about the same amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> Which I did. I thought he was going to be in Baby Driver more, to be honest with you, with the yeah. promo. I think uh, I didn't know he was going to be in Wind River, but uh, so Baby Driver, directed and written by Edgar Wright, stars Ansel Elgort, John Bernthal, John Hamm, Kevin Spacey, Sky Ferreira, Baby Driver. After being coerced into working for a crime boss, a young getaway driver finds himself ta- taking part in a heist doomed to fail. Baby Driver was a fucking blast. Oh, Jamie. Did I say Jamie Foxx? No, I didn't say Jamie Foxx. Uh, Jamie Foxx. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate how they sometimes list the cast. I wish they yeah. would do it better. Uh, Baby Driver is a fucking blast to watch. Tons of fun. Soundtrack. I would say it was better than Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think we talked about in a previous podcast. Edgar Wright actually talked to, um, I'm blanking on the Guardians director right now. Uh, James Gunn. James Gunn. They talked before the release of both their movies to make sure because music was such an important theme 
to make sure they didn't have the same songs in either. Um, but Baby Driver, um, I just think knocked it out of the park. It was entertaining as hell. The car uh, chase scenes are really well done. The fact that he times it up with the music, I thought was kind of it was a fun play on it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the last Kevin Spacey movies you'll truly enjoy. <laughs> 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 I had to put that in there. Um, John Hamm's really good. Uh, I object to your selection number number three, Baby Driver. Has Kevin Spacey in it? So you got to take it off. Gotta take it off your list. <laughs> I got to get rid of it. Can't even have it as an honorable. Christopher mention. Plummer has to be the Wrangler now. <laughs> <laughs> Superimpose his face. Uh yeah. I mean, overall, it's just it's just really good movie. I'm a little biased because anytime you mesh music in that well, you're going to hook me. Uh, not to mention blues rock, which they did a lot of. Uh, the John Spencer blues explosion, uh, which was fucking sweet band. Uh, get your mic a little closer. There you go. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Baby Driver. That's all I got to say about that. I have a feeling that our number two is going to be the same. You have, that feeling. have you said your number one? No. I didn't think so. My number two. John Wick two. <laughs> it's chapter two. <laughs> it comes at night. Didn't make the list. Didn't make the list. I thought that Just was. Just kidding. It's number two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, directed by Trey Edward Schultz. Also written by him. We had a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> Notice how those people, they really, they tend to make. Some of the best films. Yeah. I think it's because it's maybe they can fully realize their own unique vision, what they want to do. Probably. From from soup to nuts, from yeah. beginning to end. Oh. Uh, stars Joel Edgerton, Christopher Abbott, Carmen Iago, Riley Keough, Kelvin Harrison Jr., David Pendleton. Isn't a huge cast to go through. No. <laughs> Storyline. Uh, secure within a desolate home as an unnatural threat terrorizes the world... A man has established a tenuous domestic order with his wife and son. Then a desperate young family arrives seeking refuge. And it's really, it's hard to talk about this without ruining stuff. Like I can't, I think I saw like a 30 second trailer of it. I don't think I saw a whole one before no. I went and saw it. I didn't. I um, Yeah. But I'd heard how much buzz it had gotten. I kind of bought it on a whim. I guess not a whim. I mean, I'd heard good things about it, but I've just fucking loved it from getting to end. On the edge of my seat, mm-hmm. it's very tense, claustrophobic. Nope. Performances are good. I love the kind of post-apocalyptic nature of it. I tend to gravitate towards those those stories sometimes. I don't know if I should feel bad or what, but sometimes I love, or I guess I'm, I don't know if I love it, but I'm fascinated to see what happens when society crumbles. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to see it happen. <laughs> I I enjoyed the dystopian, just dark future if, when all, everything goes to shit. Like The Road. Yeah. Love The Road. Mad Max. <laughs> yep. Things yep. Like, like how people behave and act with each other. It's the Lord of the Flies, man. When there's no constraints of society. Yeah. Yeah, Lord of the Flies. I love that, that stuff. It's that style. Yep. Performances are great. Uh, yeah, just it gets your heart pumping. What about you? You have any thoughts or no? Nah. Uh, no, this one, uh, this was my 
witch of 2017 because mm-hmm. <laughs> i think i had the witch at like number two or something uh last year well i got my fucking list right <laughs> uh the witch yeah i had the witch at number two last year um and it's kind of funny because it's somewhat similar themes like they're isolated by themselves out in the middle of nowhere kind of the unknown yeah i i thought it was excellent joel edgerton is great in there um hour and a half this type of movie it was like it's kind of that sweet spot like it it was Mm -hmm. the perfect time to keep you engaged and kind of at the edge of your seat and terrified and then end like it was it was perfect um storylines cool the filming is done really well a lot of dark shots naturally but the camera work i thought was really well done there's some zoom up shots of people that weren't talking i think his son at one point which just makes you it helps to tell a different story within the story so the dialogue's going on but they're focusing on something else which i thought mm-hmm. i always kind of like which this movie does really well so yeah yeah i also tend to really like some of those films that not necessarily doesn't really leave like the ending isn't really left open to interpretation. It's more of there's different ways to get there. There's a lot of some of the story is ambiguous in mm-hmm. that there's several possible reasons for what happens. Mm-hmm. You can make up your own mind and you're not wrong either way. Yep. But yeah. Just uh, when you leave tonight, Jones, just make sure that you lock the door behind you. All right. <laughs> So I guess this is the big moment. You already did your number one. You got mine. Well, I feel like a, a recruit, like a college football recruit, because I got a hat. You got a hat for it? Who's your choice? <laughs> Blade Runner. Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> Honorable mention. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised it didn't make your list. Uh, it felt forced. <laughs> for some reason, it felt forced. Um, so here, let me get to it here. I got I got a hat a shirt from Brother Joel. I forgot I forget where he got it from, but I think he won something somewhere. In oh Games okay, Day. yeah. So Blade Runner twenty forty nine, directed by Dennis Villeneuve. I always say it like that because I'm not really sure if that's how you say it. Villeneuve. This happened last year with Arrival. Yeah. <laughs> Starring Harrison Ford, Ryan Gosling, Ana de Armas, uh, Dave Bautista, Robin Wright. Mark Arnold, Wood Harris, um, Jared Leto, Edward James Olmos. Got to get him in there. I think that about does it. Storyline. Uh, 30 years after the events of the first film, a new Blade Runner, LAPD, LAPD Officer K, unearths a long-buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. K's discovery leads him on a quest to find Rick Deckard, a former LAPD Blade Runner who has been missing for 30 years. So I pretty much loved everything about this movie. Saw it at the zoo, the the big IMAX. That helps. (laughs) For a movie like Blade Runner, it was one of the better films I've seen visually. Mm -hmm. I've talked about Interstellar. Maybe one of my best visual experiences at that IMAX. Um, Another reason why we bought it on 4K. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without even having seen it, I was like, the visuals are going to be nuts. Yeah, the cinematography is just fucking incredible. Roger Deakins, for people in the know, they know that he's never won an Oscar, and it's like the biggest travesty since 
Scorsese and DiCaprio not winning until they finally did. So I'll just go through director of photography and like cinematographer credits he has. Hail Caesar, Sicario, Unbroken, Prisoners, Skyfall, True Grit, A Serious Man, Revolutionary Road, The Reader, Assassination of uh, Jesse James by Coward Robert Ford, Ooh. No Country for Old Men, Jarhead, The Village, Beautiful Mind, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Man Who Wasn't There, Hurricane, The Siege, The Big Lebowski, uh, Fargo, Dead Man Walking, Shawshank Redemption. Jesus. <laughs> it's like how, Barton Fink. A lot of Cohen. Yep. It's like, how the fuck is this guy not won awards? Like those <laughs> movies, I mean, some of them, like Big Lebowski, you're not, it's not going to be like, well, this is just a visually stunning film. <laughs> but uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, I actually love that movie. Mm-hmm. And it's simply just to watch the visuals because mm-hmm. there are some great shots of the landscape and shit like that that are just so fucking good in that movie. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I really want to win uh, cinematography. That's the thing. I love Dunkirk's as well. So he's going up against Dunkirk, Darkest Hour, Mudbound, Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. I don't think Mudbound or Darkest Hour have a chance in hell. Shape of Water. Shape of Water has a chance, I'd yeah. say. Um, Dunkirk and Blade Runner. But I think I think they're going to do it. I think they might give it to him this year. Um, That'd be cool. But uh, it might be one of those where, well, he hasn't gotten it for 20 years, so let's finally give him one. But uh, I think it's it's well-earned with Blade Runner 2049. Just, uh, I mean, the special effects, obviously he's not doing the special effects. I mean, he's shooting, he's framing it. Mm-hmm. Some of the special effects, you know, it's not, you can't credit him with that. Yeah. But some of, like, the set pieces... Uh, I mean, I don't want to get into spoiler territory, so I'll kind of keep it a little vague. But there's a, a fight scene at the end, um, which you know isn't really a spoiler. It happens in most sci-fi or action films. All right. Uh, there's a fight at the end between Ryan Gosling and somebody else, and the way it's shot is just incredible. I thought it just looks fucking perfect. I mean, you've seen it in 4K. Mm-hmm. There isn't too much that I guess there's not even anything you can gripe about. I don't think visually for that no. movie how it looks. I think everything is just so stunning. Special effects are incredible. And then you get to Ryan Gosling and his baller-ass duster (laughs) jacket that I want. Been been looking online at some stuff. Uh, Harrison Ford, I thought, was really... He was good for... I mean, I was a little... I wasn't... I guess I wasn't worried, but I wasn't... I was. I was wondering how much of a role he'd play and how well he'd do at it. I was... Yeah, I was waiting for him to get introduced the entire time and then i was curious how long he was gonna stay mm-hmm. <laughs> i thought it was a like a perfect amount of time because it wasn't too much yep and i thought he was great in it as well yeah i thought he did a good job jared leto is great in there mm-hmm. jared leto's uh right hand man it's a woman so yep. you can't say right hand man it's uh i believe her name is love i think so um in, in the movie it's love yeah she was great as well performances are outstanding the themes and uh, subject matter explores, I think, are it's probably the most profound of the year, I'd say. There's other themes and subject matter in other films that are more timely. 
Um, I think this is somewhat timely because you can compare it to certain things going on right now. And I, I'm not going to get into the specifics of these themes mm-hmm. because I don't want to ruin things. But I thought the subject matter was very profound, very philosophical. Yep. I agree with that. And it was, it, let, it affected me as I left the theater. I think I mentioned it on the previous episode. Yep. It was, I started tearing up a little bit. I couldn't even like figure out why necessarily. It's not, you know, I don't know it's an emotional ending. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's a tragic, you know, bust out a box at Kleenex's ending. It's just, I don't know, something affected me about it and the way that, like I said, the themes that it explores, mm-hmm. um, the subject matter. So, I mean, I kind of went back and forth between the first three. So I had this, then It Comes at Night, then Wind River was at three. I kind of, I think it was a little easier for me to pick the other two over Wind River. But between this and It Comes at Night, it was it was back and forth. I didn't know what I was going to pick. Yeah. And I kept on waiting for maybe a newer movie I saw that would jump in front of it. But, damn, I just, I've, I've been wanting to watch it more and more. And it's like two hours and 45 minutes or 2.40. Oh, yeah. It's a commitment. And, like, I want to <laughs> watch it often. And that's yeah. even for, uh, you know, like I watched Neon Demon a shitload of times last year. But that that's like an hour and 50 minutes. Right. Hour 40 or 45. This is like 2.40. Mm-hmm. And... I haven't watched it that many times, but I think I've watched it three times now. Yeah. Already. Um, so yeah, I'm going to continue to watch it a lot. It's also, it, it's hard for a sequel to be, you know, to hold a candle next to the original. Right. You think of Godfather two, Terminator two, aliens, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I thought this was more than a worthy sequel to Blade Runner one. Oh yeah. And Blade Runner is considered one of the best sci-fi films ever. So I thought that's a hell of an achievement where no one looks at the sequel as the bastard child yeah. of the original you know, masterwork. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Sam had never seen Blade Runner before mm-hmm. this. So we watched Blade Runner. And then we watched this and she said she liked this much more than the original. Mm-hmm. And when I thought about it, I was like, I love Blade Runner. Um, I thought it was a solid addition. Um, the Harrison Ford thing wasn't overdone, period. Uh, the, to your point, I was worried about that because I was worried about mm-hmm. that even with Star Wars that came out last year and he's going to come back. And I'm always worried about these actors that come back and it's almost a cameo-ish feel. Like, yeah. And th- there's really nothing you can do in some instances. It's going to feel like that no matter what. Um, but the way they used him in 2049, I thought was perfect. I thought it was done well. It didn't feel like cameo. He wasn't in there too much or too little. I mean, so yeah, I think it's a good pick. I thought the score was also pretty outstanding. It's not uh, in the, it's not nominated, but I did love the score. Uh, I was a big fan of the Dave Bautista scene. Yeah, Dave Bautista is great. That guy, he's surprised. He's great there. He, even though he surprised me with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. and then uh, 007, which one was he, Spectre? Yep. Each time I see him, I'm like, fuck, he is, he's pretty good. Like, <laughs> like, he can I, act. I guess, I mean, you shouldn't be surprised. I guess he is a wrestler. Or he was a, or I think he still wrestles. Uh, There's no so, acting and wrestling, come on. <laughs> but still, it's like, he's pretty fucking good. I love that because uh, it's the opening scene. It's not giving anything away. Uh, it, that was one of my favorite opening scenes, probably of 2017. 
Mm-hmm. I loved that opening scene. Well, I mean, he's he's got the duster popped up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Points at his little machine. Yeah. Love how he just tells it where to go. <laughs> Take pictures. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So that Blade Runner 2049, my favorite of the year. There you go. Also, you you pretty much just decided, I believe we did this last year for last year's list, but this year as well. You kind of picked your favorites. You didn't pick one over the other necessarily because well, I think this is more critically heralded or I think this is a, this is a more important movie or maybe a little better made, in my opinion, or something like that. You, you pretty much went with your favorite yeah. Or did you take those other things into account a little bit, or just the overwhelming, I guess, dis- or part no. of the decision was mostly just your favorite? Uh, just favorite. Yeah. I think about... That's pretty much my... That's what I did as well. Because, um, like, John Wick Chapter 2, for example, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to fit that in the top 10, but when I kept looking over everything, I was like, I liked it. I mean, just because it wasn't in top 10 doesn't mean we didn't like them. Uh, yeah, there was another sequel that was like, hey... That's impressive I mean. that it didn't yeah it was, wasn't bad wasn't dog shit <laughs> could have been uh but um no yeah the top my top 10 these are movies that it's like similar to how you felt after blade runner i there was just something more i got out of them i really didn't even consider the critically acclaimed portion of it um i mean i have fucking coco ahead of three billboards and baby driver which is nominated for zero mm-hmm. things is up at three so no, it's it's been nominated for uh, editing, I believe, editing and sound editing. Oh, okay. Maybe even sip sound mixing. So there the sound. Go. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't really take into consideration the critically acclaimed aspect of it. It was yeah. more of thought provoking and yep fun. That's uh, pretty much just, how I went about it. Yeah, pure entertainment. I mean, Baby Driver is just purely entertaining to me, and the music. Those mm-hmm. are two of the biggest things. <laughs> I also loved, you know, John Wick Chapter 2 as well. Yeah. Um, other honorable mentions, I really tried to fit Brawl and Cell Block 99 on my list because I think it's genre filmmaking at its finest. Sure. Baby Driver, I had my honorable mention. Shape of Water. Shape of Water didn't make either of our list. I liked it a lot. It just it didn't do it. I liked it. I don't know if I liked it a lot. I mean, everything was pretty impressive in that he made something so bizarre uh you know uh beautiful and engaging i guess uh reading the description of it somewhere it was a romantic monster movie mm-hmm. i remember reading that and i was like that is a pretty fucking good explanation of it it's a good way to describe it but yeah didn't even consider it in the top 10 for some reason uh mother um another honorable mention uh, darren aronofsky uh that was quite good Oh, that's one that's like, I'm not going to be watching that too many times. <laughs> Raw. You've heard of Raw? Heard of it. Never seen it. Kind of a horror cannibal movie. It's a French film. So foreign film. Okay. It's on Netflix. I watched it a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Very good. The It would have made my list if not for the very ending I had a little problem with. But you might watch it and I have no problem with the ending. Mm-hmm. And I mean the real, like the, like the last shot, pretty much, like the real ending there. Okay. Not that it like waits to reveal that long. It's just like, well, there's an ending, and then it's like almost like a little epilogue. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, I don't know about that. 
But uh, call me by your name, honorable mention, Lady Bird. Because Lori Metcalf is fantastic. So is Saoirse Ronan. Lucas Hedges is in there. He's been in a lot of stuff since Manchester. Which is cool. Because he did good in there. Seemed like he could act. Minnetonka, Tonka, Minnesota with Uncle Donnie. Minnetonka, Minnesota. Minnetonka, Minnesota. Same difference. Wonka And then The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is the Greek director who did The Lobster. This was his follow-up. That one could be a mover. I'm going to have to watch that one again to kind of, I know, I guess grasp more of it. Because it's just as bizarre as The Lobster, but with less humor, I believe. I mean, there's still okay. some comedic moments, but, you know, the lobster's got some, a lot of pretty funny stuff in there. Yeah. Um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, a little more somber, I'd say. <laughs> okay. Um, But yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Do you have any more? Uh, you covered most of them. Um, I actually really enjoyed Thor, surprisingly. Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Yeah. I thought that was actually pretty uh, entertaining. Didn't consider it for top 10, but worth mentioning. Uh, Wonder Woman was the only one that I felt I put it as an honorable mention. It wasn't going to be a top 10 anyways. Um, and then I was like, I feel like I'm just putting it because I should put it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Not trying to disparage it. It's a good movie. Yeah, uh, that's how it kind but, of felt with. But I, I, when I started to feel like I felt obligated to put it in, that's when I knew I'm not putting it in. And even putting it down, I was like, well, I didn't really talk about it after seeing it very much because just superhero movie. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't anything to write home for. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how I felt about Coming By Your Name. I mean, sure. I liked it quite a bit, but there's something in the ending of that one as well that I didn't really, I don't know. I, I was surprised they handled something the way that they did. Yeah. And I didn't think it was right necessarily. Not that there are wrong or bad for doing it. It was just there was I disagreed with something in the in the end and how they handled a certain aspect of the yeah. film. But uh I mean otherwise very good. Yeah. I'd watch it again. Um Yeah, and then there's just a few that could have been in my list. A ghost story I didn't see that looked really good. Mother you talked about Big Sick. Sam loved said the Big Sick was great. The hero and hostels. The Hero and Hostels, both of those I really wanted to see, but haven't. Oh, Detroit is another one I wanted to see. Did you yeah. mention Detroit? No. Catherine Bigelow's news, newest film. Yep. Um, about true story in Detroit. It was regarding you know race relations in Detroit, and I believe it covers a riot in the city's history. Yeah. So that one could be a mover, a shaker. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think that'll about do her. Anything else you want to add? Nope. That's it. We'll be back next week with an Oscars recap. And then the week after, we're shooting for doing an episode, a breakdown of A Clockwork Orange. Dun, dun, dun. Jones just read the novel. Uh, It's one of my favorite fiction books immediately after finishing (laughs) it. It was so good. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'll be looking out for that. Sorry about maybe a little bit of a lack of episodes the past month or two, but... We've been retooling some stuff, reformatting, uh, me and uh, our producer Jason and I, because I technically, I've been the producer since <laughs> the start of the show. Um, I mean, you guys have helped out too, but um, trying to make it more of a collaborative effort, especially with the hosting 
And we're going to be changing things around with how we do some of the episodes, specifically the news and the what have you seen lately. We're going to be splitting that up. Film news is going to be its own episode, and we're probably not going to do as many of them. Maybe uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe like a once a month kind of thing, mm-hmm. once a quarter, or it might be a stretch where there's two in two weeks. We don't know. But then we're going to put the movies together with a new segment that we'll be having. Um, still workshopping a little bit, but it's tentatively called Movie Fights. We're basically, you know, someone's going to bring up a rating that we have on the website, and we're going to argue whether it should be raised or lowered. Brett had a point of contention about Friday after next because I listed it as a never <laughs> and he was not happy about that. And I think you like it as well too, John. So I think oh, I yeah. have to bump it's it up to a, to a last resort. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't put it higher than the last resort, but I would, I'd put it as a last resort. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll obviously we'll debate more important films than Friday after next, <laughs> but that's just a little example of something we are kind of, laughing about behind the scenes here so i'll be looking out for that yeah reach out to us uh follow us on twitter at watch this underscore movie you follow along during the uh, oscars probably be live tweeting a little bit check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com send us an email at watchthismovie at yahoo.com and please subscribe rate and review on itunes and stitcher other than that we'll check you later Check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking Check about? Check you later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you're off my case.